everyone. Welcome back to Who's There. I'm your host, Allison. If you're new here, thank you for joining us. If you're returning, thank you for coming back. This is a podcast where I talk to a new horror fan every week because I hope to destigmatize what it means to be a horror movie fan. Most of us are just regular people who like the adrenaline rush of being scared for some reason, and here we delve into those reasons. I'm really pumped because this week we have writer and director Jeff Seaman on the show. My friend Michael from episode 4 was kind enough to introduce us and I had so much fun talking to him, we could have spoken for hours. He told me all about his first feature film that he's written called On Location, inspired by the On Location tours of Matt Blasey, who you may remember from episode 11. He's also worked on the sets of the remake of Wrong Turn, which just was released on video on demand, extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile, and a favorite of mine, Haunt, in which he also makes a small cameo. You'll hear more about that on the podcast too. I don't want to give away too much, so let's get into this episode with Jeff Seaman. Hey Jeff, how are you? I'm good. You? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for being here. Do you want to start by telling everyone a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. That's a, a rather long answer if you wanted, but um, I'm a filmmaker. Uh, I've been doing this for five years now. I haven't been a filmmaker for too long, um, but I knew from the start that I, I wanted to actually make my own and I didn't want to do the typical stuff that only goes to YouTube that you can only show your friends. I actually wanted to tell a story that could be put in theaters or on streaming. Uh, so I set out early and I just learned as much as I possibly could on every set that I was on. Take a job on any set to learn from it and apply that knowledge to uh, my actual movie. And it, it's worked, I'm surprised. Um, I've done 19 feature films. Can't even count how many short films, uh, about a half dozen TV shows as well. That's good advice for anyone who wants to break into the business. Take every job because you never know who you'll meet. And every job is a job interview for the next job. Yes, that's what I hear. (laughs) So first things first, what's your favorite scary movie? Oh, um, that's tough to do because it really depends upon the week that we're in. Uh, The favorites that stick with me forever are always going to be Halloween, Friday the 13th, and uh, Night of the Living Dead. But on any given day, you might find me changing it, uh, where I might tell people that like Tourist Trap is my favorite film. Um, it's not, but it's if I'm watching it, I'm really into it because it's creepy. I just watched Sinister, and that has so many great elements, fantastic writing, good scares, and it's not cheap scares. Yeah. Um, it Follows is great. Hell House LLC. Um, but my favorite uh, right now, Friday the 13th, the original. The original, not the 2009 remake? I really like that one, but you just can't compare it to the original one. It just, none of the, the one of any of the 11 that followed it just never matches up to that one, in my opinion. Yeah, I've seen the first Friday the 13th and then Friday the 13th 3 and 4 and I'm like this is this is just silly. It's tough to match the original. In almost any um movie with that has a sequel, it's almost almost always going to be the original that's better. I'd say maybe Evil Dead and Alien would be the only ones where the sequel was better than the original. Um, but that's a whole nother conversation, sequels that are better than the original. <laughs> we'll have to talk about that later. So how did you okay. first fall in love with the horror genre? Wow, that's a great story. And it actually ties into your first question about scary movies. Um, when I was 11 years old, uh, my parents, and that was a long time ago, keep in mind, 
uh, took us to a drive-in movie theater to see some comedy. And back then, drive-in movie theaters were multiplexes. They had two, three, four screens all over the place. And you'd pull up to the screen that you wanted to see, put the speaker in the window, and watch your movie. Well, we pulled up. I don't even remember what comedy we were seeing, but I do remember that over to my right was playing Friday the 13th. Couldn't hear it. Wasn't supposed to be watching it. But when Annie got her throat slashed against that tree, I was hooked. And I think at some point during the movie, my mom must have noticed that I wasn't laughing with the family at the same points because she turned around and saw that I was staring out the window, this wide-eyed, skinny 11-year-old kid. And they moved the car closer to the screen so I couldn't see it anymore. But it was too late. Um, every time we went to a video store, uh, I'd want to go to the horror section. Mom and dad would eventually give in and pick one out for me, which turned my mom into a horror movie fan as well. And, um, but that's the story that got me started was definitely uh, seeing Annie's death on Friday the 13th. Oh, very cool. I, it's, it's awesome that you <laughs> Thank remember you. that that's, moment. I got to tell uh, Robbie, who played Annie, that story, and she was mesmerized by it. And she's a real sweetheart. I met her at Camp Crystal Lake. I did a tour there, and I got to tell her that story. And um, I didn't really think that she was into it. I thought she was kind of just faking her interest until I saw her mention it in an interview. And I guess that's it's kind of cool then. Anyway. <laughs> That's super cool. Yeah, I've heard about uh, those uh, those tours of Camp Crystal Lake. So you've done those? I've done those. Uh, when we get around to talking about my movie, there's a reason that I made my movie. That tour is um, one of the best horror movie location tours that I've ever seen. Um, everything looks exactly the same except the uh, pathway through the water. It's no longer U-shaped. It's now kind of this weird shape, but everything looks exactly the same. And when you do the tour, they actually have screenshots on these large uh, poster board to let you know what part of the movie you are now seeing. And man, it's just a, a great tour. Um, it's invitation only, but if you go to crystallaketours.com, you can sign up for their lottery. Uh, during the pandemic, they weren't doing a lottery. They were just selling tickets and you just had to pass the... Uh, the 14 day quarantine and have a negative test. And I would recommend doing it to anybody who likes that movie or just wants to go see horror movie locations. It was the best tour I've ever been to. That's very cool. And where, where are you from now? Where do you live? I'm from Cleveland area, Canton, Ohio, actually. But right now I live in Cincinnati, Ohio. Oh, okay. Um, cool. I moved down here for a job uh, 10 years ago and soon after the job disappeared and I just stayed and found other work, which turned into film work. Um, it's a thriving film community down here. I can make a movie on a moment's notice and have a crew, uh, tons of equipment, lots of uh, knowledgeable people. Uh, I don't see any reason to, to leave this area and keep, I'll keep making movies here. Awesome. Good to know. I didn't know that Thank about Cincinnati. Thank you. <laughs> um, so why do you think that people who, why do you think that people who seem perfectly sane love the horror genre? I can tell you why for me, um, Look, I'm human. Everybody has these dark thoughts in their heads. Um, somebody does something terrible to you, you know, not, you know, nothing like you see in a horror movie, but you just want to have revenge on somebody. You keep it in your head, but deep down, you know, you would not cry a tear if that person met this grisly demise. And I'm probably being watched by the FBI just for saying these sorts of things. Um, <laughs> but I keep those in. I'm, I'm, I'm too 
normal of a guy in that aspect to actually act out on those evil intentions. Um, I don't have the, the gene that would allow me to do something terrible to a person and then walk away feeling normal about it. So I write and I watch horror movies and I see these people going through terrible things and it satisfies that craving in my brain for revenge, I guess. Um, there are movies where I'll sympathize with the killer um, because the people that, that he or she is stalking are truly terrible people. Um, it just satisfies something in my brain. And I think that's common amongst horror movie fans that there's just something in there that they, that they would long to release in their own mind, but just can't do it. And that's, that's my story at least. And now I seem creepier than I did before, don't I? No, that makes sense. A lot of people have said <laughs> in the past that it's a safe way to like release some tension or like fear or whatever. So absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, without actually committing any terrible crimes. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's good release for me at least. Yeah. So <laughs> in 2020, you directed your first full length feature film called On Location. What was that like? And what's it about? Um, on Location, oh, what was it like? It was, it was a nightmare of wonderful proportions though. <laughs> um, on Location is about six friends who start a business giving guided tours to the places where they shot the most famous horror movies in the world. You know, um, <laughs> we've all heard about these locations. As a matter of fact, we just talked about one a moment ago. Uh, and then they eventually find the one location where it isn't just a horror movie. So these people, they go to, uh, they go to Friday the 13th, they go to the Blair Witch Project, they go to the location for Dawn of the Dead, and the fourth one is uh, Hell House LLC, which is one of my favorite films, by the way. Um, and then they decide to expand the, the company to Europe and they find a foreign film that, yeah, it was real. And well, that's my movie. Uh, no spoilers there. I'm not giving you any. Oh, that sounds, um, really, that sounds really interesting. But it was a nightmare to make because we were supposed to start shooting on March 23rd huh. of 2020. And we all know what happened right around March 11th. And when things started to get a little out of control, we decided, yeah, this is too risky. And a week later, the whole country was shut down. So, you know, we made the decision to shut down, but we would have had it forced upon us soon after. Uh, and we weren't able to really do anything for six solid months. We started shooting officially on September 10th. The numbers had gone down uh, quite dramatically. And where we were shooting 15 of our 17 days was in Guilford, Indiana, and Dearborn County is where that's located. Their numbers were, they were getting two positives a day in the entire county. So we felt a little safer. Those six months that we had off between the time we shut down and the time we actually started shooting, I revised the script so that most of the scenes were outside. Um, we devised a COVID-19 plan that involved two times a week testing. Now we had the Screen Actors Guild to help us guide our way through that. Um, when we were indoors, we had our lighting team and camera team go into the location separately, set up what they needed to set up before we brought cast inside. But I think there were only two scenes that were actually inside. Um, we just did everything methodically, I guess would be the right word, to make sure that the entire cast and crew were safe. Um, at the end of the shoot, 17 days shooting, I think six days off in the middle of all of that, 
257 negative tests and zero positive tests. So we knew we did the right thing. Um, but it was hell getting there and it cost us an extra $16,000 from the original budget. We had to boost it to get to this. Um, but I, I'll be honest, I'd do it again in a heartbeat, even though it was, it was rough every single day. Um, I, I'm sure most of your audience, and I'm sure you know what it's like to wake up after only two hours of sleep, terrified that something's going to go wrong, especially in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, that was every day for me because one positive test would shut down the production. And I don't really think we could have afforded to have a shutdown um, for any length of time. We had actors in from all over the country. Most of the cast and crew were local, but um, Hannah Fearman, Elsie Holt, Damian Maffei, they were all flown into us from uh, all over the place and you know, shut down to have to house them for how long or fly them home. It would have been rough, but uh, we got through. Wow. Well, hats off and, and congratulations to being so responsible with your COVID precautions. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, and well, no one ever tested positive. Yeah. Um, well, I think the, the, the changes that we made to the script and to the location and the fact that we weren't doing anything that was supposed to be in a crowd, we did have a crowded bar scene that we just changed it to an outdoor bar in the middle of the day. So there wasn't a lot of people there. We got rid of all of our, our background talent that we were supposed to have. And then most of the film was shot in the middle of nowhere. It's supposed to be in Poland in the middle of nowhere. Um, so we had a plenty of time where there was nobody around but us. And I wanna make sure that I state this properly because we take a lot of the credit for uh, the safety precautions and what we were able to pull off on set. But if all of our cast and crew hadn't gone home at the end of each day and stayed in and protected themselves, well, we wouldn't have been able to get through it. So it's really due to all of them. Uh, they knew that there was a social contract between each other. Um, I even heard a couple of them talking about it, how, no, they're not going anywhere after work. They, they need, because if they're the one who brings COVID to set, um, they, don't, they don't know how they'd be able to live with themselves. But, so it was our cast and crew that got us through it. We set up the plan and they followed it. Uh, it was a total team effort and I'm, I'm in debt to them forever for their, for their uh, amazing drive to get this film done. That's amazing. So when can we, when, when are we going to be able to see on location? We just went through the third edit of it. And I think that the last, the next edit will be the last one because there's only a few more notes that we gave to the editing team. Uh, the composer is working on it right now. And our editor is doing the sound mix and the color uh, correction as we speak. So I think uh, April will be finished and then we can put it in front of distributors. I'm hoping summer. Um, there's a lot of great horror films that are coming out in September and October, and I don't want to compete with them. I'd like to get this thing out in August if I can. Um, Quiet Place 2, uh, the new Halloween is coming out. There's a ton of great horror films, and I don't really think that my film is going to compete with those, but they're sure as hell going to get all of the attention of the horror community. And so if I can get something out in August, maybe I can get some of that, th those eyeballs on my film. Awesome. That's, that's, that's my timeline, at least August, I'm hoping. All right, cool. Uh, I'll keep my ears open for August. Oh, uh, I'll let you know. <laughs>
So I, I also noticed on your IMDb that you've worked on a couple of movies that I really have liked, um, Haunt and Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile. I thought Haunt was hey. so interesting. It was like, it was so weird what was going on inside that haunted house, but it was also, uh, yeah, I just found it really creepy and really interesting. And, you know, the uh, Extremely uh, Wicked was just terrible, like just about a terrible topic. Um. Uh, extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile was um, bigger than I expected it to be. And we knew that Zac Efron was coming into town to do this movie, but man, the size of that crew and the amazing depth of that cast, that was a fun one to work on. And um, Malkovich is exactly as strange as you might think he is. He's, he's a cool dude, but lunch break, uh, and we were shooting in not the best of neighborhoods when we shot um, Malkovich's scenes, he wouldn't go eat lunch with all of us. He would just go for a walk and half an hour in one direction, turn around and come back and just went off. And our, our, one, of, one of the jobs of the PA was to make sure that you follow the talent so they don't get lost or hurt or anything like that. And he just wouldn't, he wouldn't have it. So he just would go. He always came back, which was a good thing, but uh, he, he's a strange cat, but a really nice one. But anyway, um, that cast and crew was just phenomenal and I'm really proud of that work. Um, I, I was proud to be a part of that set and getting to see uh, Zac Efron take on a role that he's just never done before and he was fantastic at it. Um, and then Haunt, um, I wish I had, I think I worked 10 days on Haunt out of 20 some. I really wish that I had worked more of those. I wasn't able to, um, but that that was a great time. The guys who wrote A Quiet Place alongside of uh, John Krasinski uh, directed that, they co-directed it, uh, Brian and Scott. Um, good dudes, they had a vision for this film. This is what they wrote. Eli Roth produced it with them and it was a lot of fun. Now, now I've got to promote myself here on this. In Haunt, when the six heroes first pull up to uh, the haunt, there's a clown in the background that's letting four people in, opening the door and then closing the door behind them. That's me. Um, I got to play that clown. I thought I recognized just a little. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, it's, it was obvious. Um, but the reason that I did that, I'm no actor. I don't care if I'm ever on screen. I, I do it every once in a while because it's fun, but I don't really want to act. Um, Justin Markson, who played the clown in that film, a great dude, a lot of fun to be around. That that creepy clown that he played, complete opposite of who he really is. He, he's just, everybody is his best friend. Um, you saw the movie. Uh, I don't think that this is a spoiler for anybody who hasn't, but he had these weird prosthetics that had to be put on his face for later in the film. And they scheduled this scene with him to be doing this and then realized he was gonna be spending about three to four hours in the makeup chair. And so he couldn't do that scene. So uh, I was working as a production assistant on that film and they called me through the radio. Hey, uh, how tall are you? I'm six foot. And they said, great, come on to, to uh, wardrobe and put on this costume and, and go. So I spent three hours in that clown costume. And by the way, they didn't tell me that Justin's like five, seven. So that, that, that overall was tugging on my, um, but it was fun. I, 
I, I got to be a creepy clown for a few hours. And then I have some behind the scenes video of me just walking around the set, having a good time. Nobody knew it was me. They all just assumed it was Justin. I, I had a good time with that one. Um, but Haunt would also make my top 20 horror films of all time list. Um, and not just because of that little story there. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so Thank I'm you. assuming you're not, you're not afraid of clowns? No, uh-uh. Um, uh, not at all. I, I don't know what I'm afraid of. I, I think maybe heights and dying alone. That's probably it. Okay. So um, but you definitely have, heights. Have you ever seen the movie, I think it's Buried? With Ryan Reynolds, I think it is? No. He wakes There's a up. Ryan Reynolds movie that I haven't seen. Let me, hold on, let me look it up. Oh, please. Now I got to know. What, what, why? Why? Yeah, Ryan Reynolds. He wakes up buried in a coffin he's a truck wow. driver in iraq and it's just he yeah has, that would has like a phone and a like a lighter holy crap no now i gotta see it all right i have something to watch soon um that would also terrify me being i don't know if i'm claustrophobic or not maybe a little bit but that would do it for me yeah to be buried yeah definitely <laughs> um and adam green's frozen um not the Princess uh, Elsa or whatever crap Disney stuff. But Adam Green made a movie called Frozen where some people get stuck on a ski yeah. lift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw that earlier that. this year. <laughs> yeah, uh, I love Adam Green anyway. Anything he or Joe Lynch does, I absolutely love. But that one, that might be my most, oh God, I, I don't know if I can handle that situation as well. Yeah. But clowns do not scare me. What? But clowns do not scare me. Well, that's good. Yeah, no, I loved Frozen. I but I mean, when the when the when the guy tries to jump down and land on his feet, I was like, "What are you doing?" Yeah, that's yeah. It's like yeah, and those yeah. Uh, now I'm having nightmares just remembering that exactly. I mean, it's snow, but it's packed snow. You've got to figure uh, anyway. Land on your back if you can. Worst thing, yeah. the worst thing can happen there. Where were those boats? Would they have worked up there? I don't remember the movie well enough if they even tried, yeah. but still, yeah, <laughs> anyway. That's also, I think that one is on is on Netflix if anyone wants to go check it out or maybe Amazon Prime. I think last night, uh, which by the time people see this, it would have been uh, like Friday the 22nd or whatever the date was. They were actually hosting a Twitter watch of Frozen, but um, yeah, I was too tired last night. I wasn't able to stay up and watch it, but I always like watching movies with these guys on Twitter. I think they're uh, called terror tweets or something. Um, he and Joe Lynch do a lot of these and I love watching and just following along. It's why I love Joe Bob so much. Um, following along with Darcy and the entire mutant fam as they watch terrible movies. Now Frozen isn't terrible, but um, Chud certainly is terrible, but it's better because the mutant family gets together and tweets about it the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> very I'm cool. I'm gonna get letters from Chud fans. <laughs> I've never seen Chud yet, but I don't really, I don't really have any desire to. I don't know. <laughs> it's good on the Joe Bob version. <laughs> so I know that you're working on two films this year, uh, Shook'em Hills and Wrong Turn. Can you tell me anything about those? I can. Uh, Shook'em Hills is actually, uh, we, we finished that one like four years ago. Um, I don't know why it's still not released, um, but it was originally called Sinkhole. And it's a monster flick and some pretty good actors in it. Um, I, 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 Alicia Sons was in it and Jonathan Sadowski was in it. And I had a really good time on that one. That was still early in my career. 
and the guy who directed Chernobyl Diaries uh, directed that one as well. I had a lot of fun on that film. I assume that there's something wrong with the editing process. I don't know if they did reshoots, but when that one comes out, go see it. Um, uh, mining community, monsters. I don't really want to give anything away, but it was, it was, man, those caves. I just had flashbacks to working in caves. Um, I'm not much of a hiker. Uh, if I were standing up, you could see why, because I'm not a very thin, thin guy. Um, but Anybody that's ever done cave hiking, man, I don't know how you do it because that's tough. You lose all sense of direction. You lose sense of time. There's no sunlight to help you. I, I, we did a 16-hour day inside of a cave on that film. And whew, man, coming out at the end of that day was rough. Um, but I think it's going to be a good movie uh, from what I saw of it. Um, I, I, I have a story, but I can't tell it because it could spoil the movie. Um, I just, that's the first time anybody's asked me about Shookham Hills. Um, but wrong turn. Um, by the, what time, or this isn't going to air anytime soon, is it? It's probably two weeks from now. Okay. So by the time your viewers see this, uh, wrong turn will have already been released in theaters and then it's going to come out on video on demand on, uh, I think it's February 26th. So go see it because it's not what you expect it's going to be. Uh, Wrong Turn started off with these uh, cannibals, uh, redneck cannibals in the middle of nowhere in West Virginia that were just, well, you've seen it. You, you know what they do. And it just advanced from there with these weirder versions of cannibals. Nothing to do with this film at all. Um, this one is more about an ancient, I guess might be the right word, society that lives in the woods. They're educated. Um, they speak a completely different language, but they also, the leaders also speak English. It's more of a morality right versus wrong than it is, you're on my land, I'm going to kill you, uh, where the, uh, of the cannibals from the original. And it was so much fun. That set it might be my favorite set aside from my own. Uh, the director, Mike Nelson, great dude, knew what he wanted and stuck to it. Um, got some great performances out of some fantastic actors. I, I, I met, made some really good new friends on that film. And man, I, I in two weeks, you know what? Nobody's going to see this in two weeks um, or nobody's going to see this until two weeks from now. So it'll have been released already. There are some kills in this movie that are so well done. Um, and it, it's also, it, it's a horror film. So you know, some of the heroes are gonna die, but they did a great job of a tree rolling down a hill and just crushing a dude. I can't wait to see it on the screen. I had so much fun and I could talk about it for hours. Um, and they did some, they did a great job with the villains. Um, look up for your viewers who don't know who Bill Sage is might be the best actor I've ever worked with. Takes everything really seriously um, on set. Offset, hell of a dude. Now, when I say takes it seriously, I don't mean Christian Bale screaming at the crew or anything like that. I mean, he's serious about it and he wants to make sure that he gets everything right, works on his timing with the actors to get every single take perfect. Anything Bill Sage does, I will watch from here on out. And he plays the main bad guy, I guess you could say. Um, the thing you're going to walk away from wrong turn is you're not going to know who the bad guys are and who the good guys are at the end of the film. And that's what I like about it. Yes. 
the villains aren't exactly wrong in this one. Um, so anyway, I hope I haven't spoiled that for you, for you personally. <laughs> Hopefully not, probably not. Um, that sounds interesting. It, it, it's hitting me with like Walking Dead vibes where it's not really about the zombies by this point. It's more about people and how they're surviving. Yes, I think that that's, a, that's, a, that's an accurate portrayal of what we were going for because at one point in the movie, something happens where now you've got two different groups of people pitted against each other. And one side knows what they know and the other side thinks they know something and so they're enemies when really, who's the bad guy in this circumstance? And that's as much as I can tell you about it because it's a good scene and you should see it for yourself. Um, the whole thing is fantastic. And that was the set where uh, Damien Maffei and I got together and started talking about my film. Um, I'd already written it. I wanted him for my lead role. Um, and he read the script on a trip home when he wasn't working and he got involved with it. And so we spent a lot of time on the set of Wrong Turn talking about on location. Um, and I think that's where the the birth of On Location, my film, started the day I started writing it, but I think it really came to life the day that Damien got involved, because now he's bringing uh, Felissa Rose in to produce, and uh, he convinced us to bring Chaney Morrow in to act in the film as well. He got us our poster, which is fantastic throwback to 80s slasher horror film posters. Um, Damien Maffei, uh, just he helped bring on location to life but the reason that i bring him up is dude learned an entirely different language to act in wrong turn um and you'll see that when when you see the film he gave an entire uh monologue and i can't tell you what the scene's about because it'll spoil something for you in a different language and i'm watching him perform this and i didn't know what he was supposed to be saying but i knew what he was getting at by the way he was acting um, and when you have an actor that can give the same emotion in a different language, one that he doesn't even understand himself, that's a hell of an actor. And I knew I had to have him from, from just that seeing that. Plus, he's a great dude. Awesome. Well, I will have to look out for Wrong Turn. I will probably rent it instead of going Please. to theaters because there's no, no, there are no theaters open around me. But yeah. I, I'm actually going to go see it on Tuesday um, in the theater. And I wanna, I wanna make this absolutely clear. When I bought my ticket, I asked them, will they be filling the entire theater? And they immediately blocked off two seats in front of me, two to my next, two behind me, and I'm sitting on the aisle. So I know that they're following the six foot rule and I feel kind of safe going to see that, won't be taking off my mask and I'm prepared to walk out of the theater if people have their masks off. So I'm gonna go see it because I really have to go see it. I, I just have to, um, but I'm doing it safe as yeah. safe as I know how. So anyway, please. Next question. Go ahead. <laughs> What's your favorite subgenre of horror movies? Zombies. Um, absolutely. There's, there's just no doubt about it in my mind. I think Romero, um, Romero made zombie films, but he actually was using zombies in a different way. Uh, Night of the Living Dead was about Vietnam and how it changed the world. And now you had uh, conflict between uh, the older generation and the younger generation. That's what it was about. Um, Dawn of the Dead was more about consumerism uh, than it was about zombies. It just used zombies in that way. Uh, Day of the Dead, more about the military uh, and the industrial complex. But the way that he used zombies as 
the villains. And as metaphors, just brilliant. And I, I fell madly in love with everything zombie since then. I think The Walking Dead was phenomenal for the first seven or eight seasons. I drifted away from it um, after a while. But if you can do a zombie film right, uh, I'll watch it a hundred times. Um, what was the uh, uh, Dead Snow? Uh, the German film about uh, Nazi zombies. There's been a dozen or so movies about Nazi zombies, none as good as Dead Snow. Um, high recommendation for you. Dead Snow 2, not so much, but uh, watch the original if you haven't seen it. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll put that on my list. Um, I hope I'm not talking too much for you. No, 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 this is great. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, so since you love zombie movies, can I assume that George Romero is your favorite director? Um, see this, uh, gonna come back to the same answer as before. Favorite director depends on the day of the week. I think overall in how he directs his films and how he interacts with his fans. Yeah. Uh, I think Romero would be right up there. Um, general coolest dude you'll ever meet. I'd go with Joe Lynch as one of my favorite directors. Um, style, I'm a Scorsese guy, um, even though he doesn't really do horror films. Um, but man, I Romero, the time I got to meet him, and I really wish that uh, he hadn't left us um, because the ability to introduce new fans to him and have him have them meet him and see what I saw in him and what millions of other fans have seen in him. I, I wish that we could pass that down onto uh, new generations of horror fans because he, I'll tell you my personal story. Um, at the time that I met him, I was, uh, I went back to college as an adult to finish the degree I never got. And this was only six years ago. And an internship was a requirement to graduate. Well, you know, 45 year old dude was not going to get an internship at some, at some company. So they told me for my internship, I just had to be a teacher's assistant to a couple of films, of uh, film classes, which hell yeah, I was all about that. And the professor that I was a TA for told me that uh, my assignment this one week was to teach a film. Uh, it was a three hour class once a week and I had to teach a film and I could pick the film. So I chose Night of the Living Dead. And the week before I was going to teach this, I visited a convention that he was at and it, the timing was just perfect. And so the class was on a Wednesday. I saw him on Saturday and I waited in line to get my Dawn of the Dead copy of the script autographed by him. And when he got up there, he asked my name. He said, you know, what do you do? And I said, funny you should ask. Um, and I told him that I was going to be teaching uh, his film. And his eyes lit up and he turned to the person who was next in line and said, it's gonna be a minute, do you mind? And of course they were like, no, 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 we don't mind at all. And the line got notified, hey, it's gonna be a few minutes. And he said, stop and talk to me. I wanna tell you a few things. And he went into detail about the things he wanted me to teach the class. And he said, teach them what you want but make sure they walk away knowing this about my film and that about my film. And if they ask for recommendations, make sure all the recommendations you give them are in black and white because it's the purest form of film. And it was, I was just stunned by, I didn't expect him to be some, uh, some jerk about it. Like, oh, you want my autograph? Here you go. That'll be 50 bucks. Thanks. See ya. 
but that he stopped the line and his wife was sitting next to him just listening in was was just fascinated by this and he wanted to know why I was teaching his film and I said well they're all 18 and 19 years old they need to know um I'll never forget that moment it might be my favorite moment in movies that wasn't on a film set and just to know that that man existed and that that he had this love for not only film and not only zombies and horror but for his fans as well I only hope that I could be half that man uh, to, and I don't even mean success-wise, I mean just in grace and, and dignity and, and respect for the fans. And that's why I love him. And so, yeah, I guess that's a definite answer that he's my favorite director. Now I know. That's an amazing story. Thank you. I, I thought it was an amazing time. Thank you. <laughs> um, since you love zombie movies, I also love zombie movies, but my blind spot is Pontypool and a lot of my guests have talked about it in the past. Have you seen Pontypool? I have. Um, uh, refreshing my memory, ghost movie. What is no, it? Remind no. me about Pontypool. Pontypool. It's it's about a um, a zombie invasion, but it's told. But it's I think most of the film is done through a, a radio DJ, and you just see. Okay. Oh, yes. I have seen that. I was thinking of something else. I, I was thinking of, and I'll have to remember what the movie is. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen it. Uh, I have seen it and I do remember liking it, but that's about as good as I can talk about it right now. But tell me about it, please. I, I can't. I've never seen it. That's my blind spot. I just wanted to know. Oh, okay. Oh, your blind spot. You did say that. Yeah. Um, then, then we'll have to make a uh, separate date to watch it we'll say some night down the future you're gonna watch it i'm gonna watch it and we'll email each other and tell us what we thought about yeah. it. yeah awesome that, that <laughs> we have to do i've seen it i just can't remember it right now and i'd like to refresh my memory especially since a lot of your fans and people that you've interviewed have mentioned it too um yeah damn as soon as i get off this call i'm gonna remember every detail about it we'll talk later <laughs> so a random fact on your imdb bio is that uh, you go down every fall to Burkittsville, Maryland to tour all the filming sites of the Blair Witch Project. Does that movie yep. hold a special place in your heart? Is there a specific reason why you go go see all these spots again every year? Yes, uh, that's, that's a hell of a question, actually. Um, the guy that runs the Blair Witch Experience, which uh, I think it's BlairWitchExperience.com. He has a Facebook page. He literally wrote the book. About, yes, we, we had um, Matt Blasey on a few few months ago. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. What, was he terrible? He's no. I that guy. <laughs> um, he's. I wanted to write on location before I met him, but he was the inspiration to the lead character of George, and he knows that as well. Um, Matt's a great dude. Uh, I love that guy, and everybody knows him. Everybody <laughs> knows him. So anyway. Um, he convinced me to come down there and that was where I met first met him face to face and he's just a good dude uh, in general and he takes this great pride in every detail of the film like um, the mom holding the little girl Susie and Ingrid are their names um, which I would never have known without Matt they're just they're talking to Heather Mike and Josh outside of this uh, building in this small town, a half an hour away from Burkittsville. And it's not that big of a deal of that location of the film. Um, most people who wanna see uh, the Blair Witch locations, they wanna see the camp, they wanna see the cemetery and they wanna see Coffin Rock. And Matt 
spends all day, and this is a good thing, by the way, taking you to those little tiny spots. Um, there's a convenience store also that he takes you to where a guy was interviewed outside. And these little things in the movie that most people have forgotten about, he pays great attention to those details and includes that in the tour. And I just love that about that tour and about that guy. Um, and so I go every year because, you know, to be honest, I'm kind of figuring the guy might have something new for us each year. But um, he has spent so much time working on that. Uh, he inspired several points in my film. Um, the reason that I go is because I was an early adopter of the Blair Witch Project in January of 99. I first got involved. It didn't even come out until uh, July of 99. Um, but when the internet didn't have Google and askjeeves.com was as good as of a search engine as you could get, there was a Blair Witch community, um, mostly run through Haxon Films website, the Blair Witch Project website, and a few other fan sites. And um, Dan Karcher built these websites that were just phenomenal. And he ran the message boards. And there was a group of us that started moderating the message boards alongside of it. And I got to help a little bit with that. So I was getting an early look at this film before I could even see the film. And it was just, we didn't know whether it was real or not. We kind of knew after a little while, but they weren't telling us. And so the one message that we got was uh, newcomers that are going to come to this website because now Blair Witch Project is starting to blow up, Time Magazine, Newsweek Magazine. Uh, make sure that you don't tell anybody that it, if they ask if it's true, don't answer it. If they ask if it's fake, don't answer it. Steer the conversation in certain directions, but don't ever tell people, no, it's not real or no, it's, it's totally real. Let them make up their own mind. And I thought that that was just brilliant marketing. Um, and so... That being such, um, I had a uh, infant daughter at the time that that came out. So when I would put her down for the night, I'd go straight to my computer, dial up modem, by the way, and just get as much information as I possibly could from those websites and talking to that community. Uh, they called themselves Tub Whoppers for TBWP, The Blair Witch Project. And you just never forget those kind of friends. And, you know, so I'm forever connected to that movie. Um, two of my characters in the film, Dan and Ed, are named after the directors of the Blair Witch Project, oh, Dan cool. Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez. Um, it's, love that film in every possible way. And I'll never not love that film and I'll watch it every chance I get. Awesome. So, yeah, I remember. <laughs> No, it's great. Um, no, I, I did read the book a couple months ago and I thought it was great. Um, I bought it for my brother who wants to be a filmmaker. So I was like, look, you can make a really good movie on no money. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I remember the internet marketing for that because the internet was so young. Yes, I still had dial up as well. So I remember going on the website and being like, is there any new news and is this real or not? So, yep. yeah. And the answer would always be, eh, we're not telling you. They did a great job with marketing that film. Um, it can never be recreated. The, the marketing design of that can never be recreated because it, it, it was able to happen because there was no Google. Yeah. There was no access to that kind of information. Um, 
you what you could pick up from it, you could only find that information on their website and they controlled what info was getting out. And it was it was brilliant. And um, it deserved every penny of the third of a billion dollars it made at the box office. Yeah, uh, the only marketing uh, marketing for a movie that I can think that is was sort of like that and only a little bit was that um, the marketing for Cloverfield, the first one, because oh. the trailer came out and they just didn't tell you anything. And I don't think yep. they tried to get anyone to believe that it was real footage, but it was just, they didn't give you anything for a long time. Right. Nobody was going to believe that the Statue of Liberty's head from that poster was, you know, you could go to New York and actually see it, but they just left it there. And wait, you, you were left to wonder what happened here. Um, Cloverfield, actually, there was this whole side project to Cloverfield that they, they didn't exploit as well as I had hoped that the company that Rob was going to go work for, uh, I think Slusho is the company's name, was supposedly responsible for this monster under the sea that came out because they'd been dumping toxic chemicals. I, I wish that they had exploited that and, and marketed that or at least promoted it a little bit more. Um, I mean, I know they're making another one at some point, so maybe they'll do it then. But I, I love that backstory and just knowing a little bit about Slusho. I think that's the title. Yeah, I've watched a bunch of YouTube videos about <clears throat> about that and the the company and the name and the everything. So if you Google Slusho Cloverfield on YouTube, you should be able to find something. Oh, yeah. I would love to see another Cloverfield, too. Love it. <laughs> Uh, so what's your opinion on why horror movie fans are handling lockdown better than non-horror movie fans? Because <laughs> we don't like to be around people. <laughs> um, horror movie fans have been outcasts for a long time. Um, when I was in high school, big into horror movies, I think, I don't really even think that it had fully developed my love for horror films in high school, but I definitely had that, that uh, desire and that gene inside of me that um, we're used to not being the normal people. Um, you know, everybody in school was gonna go see and this isn't talking about my high school years, but everybody was going to go see Titanic or they were going to go see Fast and Furious and, and the Transformers. And those are the big movies and everybody sort of coalesced around seeing those films, but nobody was really all that excited to go see, God, I'm trying to think of a low key horror film that might've been put in the April Fool's Day um, in 86. And I saw April Fool's Day on opening night um, and I freaking loved it. And nobody that I knew knew the first thing about it, uh, they, they could care less. So you tend to close down what you talk about in public sometimes, at least that's my story. And you learn to love what you love by yourself. And maybe you find a small group of friends, it's a lot easier on the internet now, maybe you find a small group of friends somewhere that you can talk about these sort of things, and, but they're not widespread. So you learn to keep things to yourself. It's a lifetime of training to follow the rules of a pandemic and survive it. Plus, we all watch zombie films. Everybody knows what to do in a zombie film that loves zombie films. You stay away from the guy that just got bit. You don't go outside without the proper protection. 
you know, you, you learned a whole lot. You don't have to become a survivalist, but you learned that those grocery store visits, you need to get a little extra because you might be inside for a little longer. So uh, I didn't really think that answer through because I didn't know that question was coming, but that would be my initial guess as to why horror fans can survive a pandemic easier than the rest of the world. <laughs> That's a great answer. That was Plus, we don't have that innate desire to go to the bar every Friday and Saturday night. We'll drink at home and we, and we like that. <laughs> Definitely. Please guide me, please. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so how do you decide what horror movie you want to watch when you want to pick something to watch when you're at home? <laughs> An hour and a half of scrolling through all of the various apps. Um, so many people have Twitter said that. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's the truth. Um, and most of the time I'll settle on a film that I've already seen. Um, I, I follow a, a lot of uh, horror movie fans on Twitter and um, belong to a few different Facebook groups. I find that horror movie fans a lot of times, um, I don't know if they always like horror films uh, because they, they bash a lot of things pretty easily. Um, I can't imagine why anybody would think A Quiet Place isn't a horror film, but I see that a lot on the internet. Oh, that's not horror. What, what the hell are you talking about? Of course it's horror. Um, so I get a lot of recommendations is what I'm getting at from all the groups and the people that I follow on Twitter or Instagram or whatever. And then I just sort of, if I see a, a certain recommendation come up more than two or three times, I'll write it down and look for it. Um, I need to see Promising Young Woman this week. I've seen a lot about that. Um, that's how I find my recommendations. But if I don't have anything, um, yeah, it, it's a lot of just scroll. And you usually know 10 minutes into a film whether or not it's worth the, the other hour and a half to watch it. Um, most of the time, I'll sit through the whole thing anyway. Um, might be the worst movie I've ever seen uh, for horror. And it shouldn't have been. It should have been much better. It's called, uh, uh, and forgive me if anybody out there watching this was involved with this film, uh, or if you're Vincent D'Onofrio who directed it, it's called Don't Go in the Woods. Um, and it's not the 1981 version. It's more of a, I think it's like 2011. It's a horror musical almost. It's about a band um, that goes into the woods and they're in the woods where there's this legend of some killer. And the band goes in there and it's supposed to be just the guys in the band and they're gonna write for two days music and play and they're gonna come out of the woods with a great album and their girlfriends all show up and they end up just singing songs and, and nobody dies for the first hour and 10 minutes of it. It's, they keep leading up to this death that's going to happen and it just doesn't come. And then when the, the first death happens, like nine more happen in the next 10 minutes. And, and there's a song, the, the last girl is singing a song as she dies and it's just awful, but it's so much fun to watch even though it's terrible. Um, so it's kind of a, I'm recommending you watch that, but I warned you, uh, sort of moment. Um, and you'll never get that closing song out of your head. And I can't figure out yet if that's good or bad. Hmm. Okay, cool. Um, don't go in the woods. So I will, yeah. the fact that it's a, a musical horror movie is good for me because I'm also a theater nerd. I worked in theater for a little bit um, in New York okay. City. So yeah, Ooh. I love musicals. <laughs> um, I don't know if it follows the traditional musical sense where the, the music steers the narrative. I don't know if it does that so much, but there's like nine songs in the film. What, what else are you gonna call it? So yeah, a horror musical would be about as, uh, as close as you can get. Yeah. Um, so back when we were allowed to be in packed movie theaters, have you ever had any noteworthy experiences seeing a horror movie in theaters? 
Um, by noteworthy, are you talking good or bad? Do you have an example you know, of your own? Um, just seeing a quiet place was really amazing because everyone was so quiet. Um, yeah. When I saw it too, it was it was just packed and everyone was screaming and it was so long. But yeah. I, I have uh, I have two immediate stories and neither of them are good. And then I'll and then I'll give you I'll I'll, I'll come up with a third one that that well I mean I already have the third one but and then I'll tell you that that's a little bit more fun. Um, I saw Halloween the 2018 version on premiere night in I mean it was opening night around here. And two rows in front of me, a guy was playing a video game on his phone the whole time with the brightness up full. And about an hour into the movie, I finally yelled at him, um, embarrassed the person that I was with. But uh, it was like, dude, it's opening night. And it's uh, anyway, um, that that's that's beside the point. That can happen in any movie. Um, it you mentioned it. Chapter two. Um, I went to see it. And this is really memorable. Uh, there's a scene where Pennywise is dancing and he's doing this weird, creepy dance. And rather than have him move on the screen, the screen behind him moves. So he's kind of almost stationary and, and the uh, background is all dancing. It triggered vertigo in me. And within an hour of that, I was laying on the floor and puking because my vertigo, when it hits, it hits hard and, and it lasts for a long time. Um, like, like two weeks of puking usually for me with vertigo and so that was very memorable was Pennywise forced me to to get vertigo um I couldn't see it chapter two in the theater because of that because I was kind of terrified of the cinematography that it might trigger it for me again so I, I had a few friends that went and saw it and they said yeah we didn't see any sign of any shots like that um and by the time I worked up my courage it was gone so I saw it on in the comfort of my own home and I can watch it now because when you're watching on a screen, the screen here, and you have your entire living room around to balance your view, but screen's right here and it's all there. It was the only thing that I could see on, in the theater. That's why it triggered it for me. There was no escape from my brain. Um, so yeah, <laughs> memorable, but not in a good way. Um, and then the best time that I ever saw was I saw the Blair Witch Project on opening night in Cleveland um, in July of uh, 1999. And it was a midnight screening, literally the Friday, it was Thursday at midnight, movie comes out on Friday, it was the first screening of it. And the way that the crowd reacted was just phenomenal. Packed theater, there were people sitting in the aisles um, and every once in a while, the usher would, would try to chase them off and they really, they just wanted to see it. And, and these ushers, you know, they're, they're what, 18 year old kids. They're not really going to do much about it, but there were, it was just phenomenal. And the screams came at the right time. And when that movie ended, it was dead silent. There was nobody saying a word. It was just, they were stunned into silence and it was phenomenal. And it took maybe the third or fourth title card into the credits before somebody started clapping and it just erupted. But you could tell that that was a theater full of people that had just been moved by what happened in the end of that film. And, and you know, I, I could get teary eyed just thinking about that moment. It was phenomenal. Awesome. Yeah, I remember, I remember <laughs> everyone being pretty silent after seeing the Blair Witch Project in, in theaters. <laughs> 
Uh, I took my friend Melissa to see that movie that night and she made me sleep on her couch because she did not want to be alone in her apartment. So I slept on her couch that night because she was so terrified by what she had seen. Not like there was going to be a witch coming to her house, but still, um, and I, and I don't blame her for it. It, it was truly terrifying. So please continue. You're, you're a good friend. Um, a <laughs> situation that I will always remember in the theaters, it's very quick, but I remember seeing Hereditary in theaters and that one moment Ooh. in like the last act of the movie where you see Tony Collette in the corner of the ceiling and start like spider crawling towards her son. That was, everyone started screaming and losing their shit. Yep. So. I, I think that Ari Aster, um, I, I'm trying to think of the right words to put it. Um, I'm not quite sure he's human. Um, and, and, and I don't mean that he's an alien being or anything like this, but his, his sense of, of style and the way that he projects fear onto the screen, it's so unconventional and so unusual. Um, and you, you could even go to Midsommar with, with that as well. Who the hell thinks of that bear costume? That's, that's unique. I, I'm not a, a tremendous uh, a fan of either of those movies. I like them. Don't get me wrong. I like them. How could I not like them? But wow, the writing that he puts into that and the style and the time and, and the visuals in every movie, that, he, that every scene of, of the movies that he has done, just phenomenal. He, he, I don't think he, he can't be human. He has to be some higher elevated species to be able to pull all of that off and do such a great job. Um, so yeah, anyway, but you're right. That was a terrifying moment. I wish I had seen that one in the theater. Yeah. Um, so a lot of movies were postponed from being released last year. Uh, besides your own movie being postponed, what, what movie are you most upset was being held back until this year? Uh, Halloween Kills. Is, is that the next one? It's Halloween Kills and then Halloween Ends. Yeah, I really wanted to see that in October in a theater. Um, I was really looking forward to that. Uh, I think the Halloween series in general gets more uh, bad rap than anything. Uh, it bounced all over the place and I understand why it gets the bad rap sometimes, but I think that the, the 2018's Halloween was the best sequel of any movie that I've seen. And the fact that they didn't even, they completely ignored parts two through whatever. I, I loved that, that they just went back and did a natural sequel to the original 40 years later. Um, and I wanted to see what Jason Blum would do with that, with the next one. Um, I think he's a fantastic producer. I know Blumhouse um, gets a lot of negative press as well. Um, but I think that they have a fantastic um, uh, design as a company. Put a bunch of horror films out. If two or three of them hit out of 10, hmm, you've got yourself a successful business model. But he did a great, such a great job with Halloween. I think that he would have done a great job with Kills and I wanted to see it in the theater and I hate the fact that I have to wait nine more months for it. <laughs> that would be my number one. Um, I'd have to see a list, but there's a ton of movies that, that I'm looking forward to. And they're all coming out, Candyman and, and Quiet Place 2, they're all coming out in September and October. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so are there any horror movies that you love that people generally don't like? Um, a lot of Blair Witch haters out there. Uh, Hell House LLC, I've talked about that. It doesn't get a lot of love. Um, I think 
tourist trap doesn't get much either. Uh, that's a good question. Um, I need a minute to think about that. Go on with your next question and let me think about that one. Well, I love Hell House LLC. And I also, I kind of oh. like the two sequels too. I watched them all this year for the first time. So. They have another one coming out, but it's more of a, a mini series of, of shows called the Abaddon Tapes. Oh, okay. uh, same, team, same team makes it. Have you seen on HBO, uh, The Flight Attendant? It's not horror, no. but The Flight Attendant? Okay. Uh, uh, Sarah Havel from the original Hell House, the, the girl, oh. uh, wrote that whole series on HBO. Oh. I had no idea she was a writer and I'm watching this and I saw her name in the credits and I don't know why I'm bringing it up now, but yeah. I think she's really talented. Oh, cool. Um, uh, where are you located at, by the way? New York City. Okay. If you get the opportunity to go to Eastern Pennsylvania, a small town called Lehighton, the Hell House LLC house is a haunted house. And I don't mean haunted house like Zach Baggins will take you through. I mean, it's, you give them 10 bucks, you go through, they scare you. Uh, do it. It's, it's, it's exactly like in the movies and it's fun. It's, it's a good place to go. I, I highly recommend it once this pandemic ends. <laughs> I might be too much of a wimp, but I'll keep it in the back of my head. <laughs> <laughs> at least go and look at the outside of the house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I would do that. I went to, um, I went to the bridge from the beginning of a quiet place a few months back. <laughs> I've been to a bunch of other places too, that I can't remember right now, but yeah. That's a creepy bridge, man. Yeah, there were just people like hanging out, eating on it though. So I think it's just somewhere that people who live around there, like just, they just go to like. Not know. so much for the tourism part, just for the view. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe they don't know it was used in a horror movie. It's surprising how many places I've been to where people don't know that this was the location of a movie. Yeah. Um, and to me, that's foreign because that's what I do. Uh, I made a whole movie about it. I do it constantly. Um, in July, I did 10 movies in one week, just traveled around the East Coast and visiting movie locations. And the weird stuff too. I went to the general store at the beginning of Cabin Fever, huh. just because it was in the movie. And it's every bit as creepy as it was in the movie. There was no little kid sitting on the bench out front ready to bite me. But it was just, I like doing that sort of thing. And I imagine that a lot of those people in that town that it was in have no idea that it was in a horror movie and some guy from Ohio came to visit it just because it was in a movie. Um, so yeah, that might be the case with the bridge. Um, I think The Strangers, the original, doesn't get the love that it deserves. Um, it wasn't a movie that that had any real jump scares and there wasn't any chase scenes and it was all just this understated creepy factor to it and and the whole reason that they were being hunted was because they were home to me that's freaking terrifying they they chose this couple just because they were there that's freaking awesome to me and i don't think enough people appreciate that and i see some hate leveled at that movie because it didn't have enough action eh, horror doesn't need to have action to be good yeah. I remember seeing oh. that. I believe I saw that in theaters and it was just, there's so much tension. Like, yeah. Uh, the sequel I thought had plenty of tension to it. There was, you know, they knew they were being hunted early on and were striving to get away. And that, that, that pool scene, that was just an amazing scene. And people appreciate the sequel more than they do the original. And I think the original, uh, I'm going to get some hate for saying this from personal friends who worked on the sequel, but I think the original is way better than the sequel. And I loved the sequel. Yeah. 
<coughs> I think I think the sequel is more of just your typical slasher movie, whereas the first one was a, like not your typical slasher movie because there was so much tension and not a lot of action. So yes, yeah, and I and I think I would agree with that, and then I bet the people who made it would agree with that as well. Um, that that it was more of typical slasher, yeah. but I love the fact that they made it and was made nearby here too. <laughs> well, nearby where I am. If you could remake one horror movie, which one would it be? Does it have to be a horror movie? Yes. This is a Damn horror it. podcast. Damn it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I have a movie that I have been dying to remake for a long time and I won't talk about it now. Um, yeah, uh, Burnt Offerings. Have you seen it? I have never heard of it. 1976 film about a house uh, and, and the cast is phenomenal for 1976 Burgess Meredith and, and uh, Betty White was in it and Karen Black was in it and it's about a house that uh, needs to have a caretaker and these people go away for the summer and so it's much like The Shining they hire this couple to live in their house with a child and and a grandmother to live in the house and take care of it for three months and creepy things just keep happening in this house um, I don't know where you can find it and I refuse to spoil it for you because it's so freaking good at the end. I recommend it to you personally and to every viewer watching this, Burnt Offerings. Uh, it could be remade, but it might not need to be because it's just so perfect of a film. <laughs> that and Tourist Trap, but definitely Burnt Offerings. Awesome, I'll look for, I'll look for the original. Yeah. Please, and um, somebody get that remade. <laughs> so do you, if you can give one piece of advice to aspiring filmmakers, what would it be? Take every job that you possibly can, even if you don't think you're qualified for the job, you'll figure it out on set or they'll fire you, but you get those days put in to learn the job. Now you don't wanna go and be an assistant director when you've never been on a film set before because you'll get eaten alive. But if you get an opportunity, to PA a film, take it. Doesn't matter that you don't know what you're doing. They'll teach you on the set. And PAs, they know you're not supposed to know what you're doing. And every single person that you meet on that set, introduce yourself, uh, get to know them as best as you can while you're working because these are the people that are going to hire you on the next film. And I think I said early in the podcast, every job is a job interview for the next job. That's how I got started. Uh, and it's how you should get started too if you're watching this and you want to get involved in film. Take the crappy job and learn from it because it'll turn into a better job the next time or the time after that. That's great advice. Thank you. Thank you. Think so too. <laughs> Somebody gave that to me five years ago. Oh. <laughs> so my last question to my guest Zoe is if you had to spend quarantine with one horror villain, who would it be? Ooh, one horror villain. Um, wow, that's a good one. You immediately want to go for the for the big name. Uh, you know, you'd say Jason Voorhees, but you'd probably get killed right away. A horror villain. Oh, man, I am my brain is in a 1000 places right now. Would uh, who would be the villain of Midsommar? Who do you think would 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 it the is there a villain in that movie? The boyfriend. Yeah, I wouldn't want to spend the time with him. Yeah. Um, yeah, actually, maybe 
I'm sorry that I'm so stunned by this question. I probably could have written an essay on this one with just five extra minutes of thought time. Yeah, I got it. Um, Connell Cochran uh, from Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. He was, uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, see it. It's a great movie, despite what everyone says. Don't expect to see Michael Myers. He ain't in it. But it's a great film. And the main evil guy trying to take over the world in it, he's so good. Uh, just pure evil, but in that classic Bond villain kind of way. Like, he doesn't mind that you know his secret plan, and it ends up uh, biting him in the end. But, yeah, I like his style. That would be my choice on that one. As soon as I get off this call with you, I'm going to have 10 others, but that is the one I'm going to go with right now. Connell Cochran. Awesome. Well, thank you so much thank for being here. Uh, do you want to tell everyone where they can find you on the internet? Uh, well, my name spelled, uh, so you can see it at the bottom of the screen. You can go ahead and find me on Facebook. On Twitter, it's Jeff from Ohio. No underscores or anything that Jeff from Ohio. And on Instagram, Jeff LRB, as in uh, LRB, you know, Jeff LRB. LRB Productions is the name of my uh, film production company. So Jeff LRB, uh, that's how you find me. Um, I have a website at jeffseaman.com and uh, yeah, I'll tell you this one, terrortrips.com is the website for the film uh, for uh, on location. There's a little side project called Terror Trips. Go see that website as well. Okay, awesome. I definitely will. Thank you so much for Thank again you. for being here. Have a great rest Thank of your day. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I look forward to seeing this and I'll, I'll see you at the next uh, premiere. That's it for this week's episode of Who's There. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jeff Sneeman and that you learned a little bit about what it takes to make movies, especially during COVID. And thanks again to Jeff for coming on. I'll leave links to all of his socials in the show notes. As always, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to us. Thank you to everyone who's already left us a review. We really appreciate it and it really helps people find us. You can follow us on Twitter at Who's There Pod or on Instagram at Who's There Podcast. Or if you have any questions, comments, concerns, horror movie recommendations, or you would like to be a guest, shoot us an email at thewhosetherepod at gmail.com. Until next time, stay scary and wear a mask. <laughs>